23rd, so just kind of put that on your calendar. If you're available that day, that'd be great. Uh, last time we gathered like this to worship as one body, I spent some time at the beginning to explain how most of the time during this teaching segment, we'll be walking through books of the Bible doing expository preaching. And uh, that's true most of the time, but not today. And uh, won't be true uh, most of the rest of this year. Kind of where we feel led as elders uh, to go the rest of the year is spend time with our core group, really walking through who we are, what we are doing, why we're doing it. Uh, you can preach topically and expositionally, which is what we're going to attempt to do. Um, and uh, that's where our focus is going to be. Uh, as always, if you hear something like we're pulling something out of the Bible, we're saying the Bible says this, and you're like, I don't think the Bible says that, always come see us, and we'll walk through that. Uh, we may agree to disagree, but uh, we're trying to draw from Scripture what Scripture says, what God intended for it to mean, and let that direct us as Christians, as family, and as a body of believers. Um, I don't really have one text for you to turn to. And I'm going to avoid the temptation to just have you turn somewhere in your Bible. That way you feel good about bringing your Bible. So just hang on to it. We will turn somewhere later on. But uh, we want to walk through this morning this idea of what it means to be missionaries. Um, as we gather and uh, walk through Scripture during this time, um, we're, not, we're not looking at this as a performance. We don't think about you as an audience. So we're not thinking about you rating or judging, this is a two-star sermon, a four-star sermon, this is a two-thumbs-up song or two-thumbs-down song. Um, we view you as, we view all of us as disciples who are called and commissioned to go make disciples, who make disciples. And so instead of, of some kind of performance to an audience, okay, I'm just kind of, this is good, this is bad, um, everything we're teaching you is with the intention that you will then take that and teach it to somebody else. You're going to take God's word, God's truth, and go make disciples who make disciples. It, it might be your kids, might be your grandkids, might be somebody you work with, a lost person you've been talking to. I'm not saying you've got to go and recreate a whole sermon for somebody. You know, sit down, I've got 40 minutes, I'm going to walk you through something real quick. It just could be the truth that God lays on your heart, that God teaches you, that changes you. You then pass them along to people that you're discipling. And so that, that should be like our expectation when we come to this time in the Word is, God, teach me so I can teach others. We want to be meat eaters, right? Uh, a lot of times we think about milk and meat eating in the Scriptures as, well, the milk eaters are the baby Christians and the meat eaters are the more mature Christians who understand more of the theological conundrums of Scripture and the, the theological nuance. And that's really not what the writer of Hebrews is talking about in Hebrews 5. The writer of Hebrews is talking about meat eaters as those who teach. Paul, the, the, the writer, not Paul, could have been, the writer of Hebrews is, is saying, um, you should be teaching, but you're not ready to teach, so we've got to go back to the milk bottle to get you ready to be a meat eater to go teach somebody else. And so we want to be meat eaters um, in this room. We want to take the truths of Scripture and go and teach them to others. I shared with you last time that for these three summer gatherings in June, July, and August, we're going to look at these three distinct identities so uh, because of Jesus, this is who we are. We're many things Scripture talks about, but, but three identities that are core to who we are as the Crossing Church is we're family, we're servants, and we're missionaries. So last month we looked at Hebrews 13, 11 through 14, and saw how we are servants. Jesus, the suffering servant, came and suffered outside the camp, outside the gate of Jerusalem to sanctify people through his blood. 
we then are saved and we become servants of this king, servants of this God. So we go with Jesus outside the camp to bear his reproach, to suffer with him because we're so identifying with Jesus, we are treated by the world as Jesus was treated by the world. We're not going to win everybody over. We're not going to be friends with everybody. Eventually we get to the point where the gospel offends. All right? Today we're looking at this idea of missionaries. So these three identities flow out of the triune nature of God. God the Father adopts us as sons and daughters into his family. Jesus, the suffering servant, came and suffered so that we could become servants of the King. And the Holy Spirit, sent by the Father and the Son, uh, empowers us and sends us to bear witness to the reality of Jesus Christ. So family, missionary, servant. Um, Kendra's going to talk about the family aspect in August. And today we're going to look at <coughs> the missionary aspect of our identity. So we call ourselves, if you see us on, on our little logo, uh, we are a gospel-centered missional communities. That's who we are. We're a collection of gospel-centered missional communities. Um, what exactly does that mean? What does it mean to be gospel-centered? Well, as, as Westerners who like to compartmentalize, you think about pieces of the pie, uh, we, we think about a, a section of the pie is our family, a section of the pie is our church, a section of the pie is our hobbies, a section is work, a section is stuff you got to take care of around the house, a section is hobbies, a section is friends, and so we have all these uh, balls that we're trying to juggle, pieces of the pie that we're trying to keep in order, uh, delegating so much time and energy and focus and money to each one, and so in our Western mindset, we uh, come and get serious about our walk with Jesus, and Jesus becomes this bigger piece of the pie that... that we start having quiet time, start reading the Bible, start praying. We start uh, doing more stuff at church. We start attending more, start serving more. And so Jesus is just this bigger piece of the pie that we're devoting more time and energy to. But, but that's not truly gospel centrality because Jesus is not saturating and flavoring every other area of our life. So think of uh, gospel centrality as a wheel and Jesus is the hub that holds everything together. And so while we're working and family and marriage and parenting and eating and playing and doing hobbies and doing everything that we do in life, Jesus the hub, the gospel, is flavoring, saturating every one of those areas of life. Jesus is changing how we view those areas, how we live in those areas, how we carry out um, our walk and our calling. So as you live, eat, work, play, do family and all that, how is the gospel, how is Jesus flavoring and saturating everything. Uh, If you've come from a church background, you probably have heard a a preacher stand up in a place like this and say something like at the end of a service, why don't don't you come today and give your life to Jesus? And and, and the problem with that, that is Jesus doesn't want your life. Your life stinks. Your life is broken. Our life is messed up. Jesus does not want your life, my life, Jesus wants to give us his life, right? He, he said in John 14, 6, I am the way, the truth, the life. He is life. He said in John 10, 10, that the thief came to steal, kill, and destroy, but I have come that they might have life and have it abundantly. So Jesus, the gospel-centered life, is, is Jesus bringing his life into our shoes to live the life that we're already living. Flavored and saturated by Jesus and by the gospel. That's what it means to be gospel-centered, to be centered on the gospel, seeing the reality of Jesus saturate who you are and everything you do. So, 
if we are a gospel-centered group of missional communities, then we've got to have a strong grasp on the gospel, right? Especially if we are missionaries who are sent out to live and proclaim the reality of this gospel. So what is the gospel? And in a culture like ours, one missionary I visited with one time told me that he called this area a gospel-hardened area. So an area that has heard the gospel, heard the gospel, heard the gospel. Everybody has an understanding of what the gospel is. Everybody has their own view of the gospel. So when you say we're gospel-centered, we've had a lot of people in a lot of other churches who aren't always gospel-centered say, oh yeah, we do that. We do missional community. We're gospel-centered. Um, and and you, just, you know, maybe our skeptical nature as church planners were like, really, y'all do? Because uh, we're still trying to figure this out. You know, we, we've got 10,000 kinks to work through. So what, what does it mean? If you're, if you're truly gospel-centered, then, then how do you know? How is it showing up? And I think a real way, easy way to ask ourselves, how do we know if we're truly living a gospel-centered life is this. Are you making disciples? Are you making disciples who make disciples? So are we doing that? Are you doing that? A gospel-centered life is living out the reality of Jesus Christ and obeying the commands of Christ in every area of life. That life will produce disciples. And so are we a gospel-centered church that is truly making... Guys, that's how we're evaluating ourselves. We're not evaluating ourselves by how many people show up in a house or in a building, um, how many people we show up at mission work or mission trips we eventually take, how many people become members. We evaluate ourselves. Are we making disciples who make disciples? Are we doing that? If we're not, we're failing. Because that's what Jesus told us to do, right? So to be a disciple maker, to be a missionary, you've got to get back to the gospel. So what is the gospel? Sometimes it benefits by looking at what the gospel isn't. So uh, when you hear us say the gospel, here's what we're not saying. The gospel is simply not a transaction, a religious hoop you jump through to go to heaven when you die. Now, if you believe and have embraced the gospel, you, you will be in heaven when you die. But it's, it's so much more than that. And what's happening in a culture that's filled with easy believism, that's filled with vacation Bible schools and revival meetings and, and all these sorts of things... Um, People have done one of the following, but not limited to, stood up, raised a hand, walked an aisle, prayed a prayer, filled out a card, been baptized, been told by someone, okay, you've done this thing on this day, now you're going to heaven. It doesn't matter what you do the rest of your life, or don't let anybody ever call you to question this, because you've done this thing, right? Despite the fact the New Testament calls us to examine ourselves, to see if we are in the faith in 2 Corinthians 13.5. Despite the fact that an entire book of the Bible was written, 1 John, to give us assurance not based on jumping through a religious hoop at one time in the past, but based upon the reality and the condition of our heart and life right here, right now, today. So the gospel is not just jumping through a hoop to get something when we die and it has no bearing on our life here and now. The gospel is also not a list of rules you follow that makes you okay with God. So uh, the first church I pastored, very rural church in Northern Union Parish, the, the terminology there was, he's a real likable fellow. And that was just common terminology referring to different people in the community. So, so what was a real likable fellow? 
Well, he was somebody who went to church occasionally or often enough to be called a real likable fellow. He, he took care of his family. He uh, worked his job, worked really hard at his job. Uh, he didn't cheat on his wife. He, he did a, an, an average job of raising his kids. Uh, he was a good neighbor. He would help you out, let you borrow a tractor or, or, or loan you some other tool. Uh, if somebody was on the side of the road and uh, needed some help, he'd pull over and stop a stranger and help a stranger out. Um, all these things constituted what a, a real likable fellow was. Nothing really majorly offensive in his life. He got along with most people. And our culture is filled with real likable fellas and real likable um, girls, whatever you call them, right? We, we have them everywhere. And real likable fellas make good neighbors, good employees, good friends, good family members. But they don't make someone okay with God. They don't justify someone in God's presence. And so the, the problem is when we set up a set of rules to follow that make us okay with God is everyone sets up their own set of rules that they just so happen to adhere to perfectly. And in their mind, they're okay with God. And, and just, I mean, whatever your set of rules is, um, you know, it could be environmentalism, you, you recycle, you... Um, you're frugal with your resources, you're resourceful, you know, you take Ziplocs and you wash them out and you reuse them. Um, you, you don't use plastic in anything and you have stainless steel everything. Uh, it could be caring about animals. So you adopt and bring in uh, puppies and cats and dogs that are abused and you, you shelter them and you nurse them to health. And so you're, you very much care about animals. You take birds that follow their nests and you, you try to nurse them back to health. It could be um, you really love your family. You're all into your family. And so we uh, have a great family atmosphere. We do a lot of things together as a family. We go on vacations as a family. We invest in our family. And it's all about the family, being together as a family. Um, it could be working hard at your job and being very successful at your job. It could be uh, not watching rated R movies and not letting your kids watch Teletubbies or things that are offensive like that. Uh, if you think that the Teletubbies are offensive, they're, they're offensive but for various other reasons. Um, not going to sinful places like New Orleans or Las Vegas. That might be on somebody's list. Uh, not drinking, smoking, cussing or chewing or dating or running with those who do. So whatever's on your list, everybody adheres really well to the, their list, which makes them okay with God in their eyes. Here's the problem. God holds us accountable not according to our list, but according to His list, His standard. And His standard is perfection. Like you, you can't have an off day with God. You can't just like sleep in. I'm just going to not do the godly thing today, God. Um, it's not just that you have to avoid all sinful behaviors with God, but you have to do all righteous behaviors all the time, never failing one time on any day. And to make it even better, you've got to always do them with the right motivations for the glory of God. So you, you want to do it on your own. You want to pursue that list in your own Strength and effort to be perfect in your eyes. I mean, go ahead. Have fun with that. As James says, he who breaks one part of the law is guilty of breaking the entire law. We, we fail at that, right? And so the gospel is not following our rules perfectly. The gospel is not a one-time religious act that gets us into heaven and doesn't matter how we live. The gospel is, uh, if we're sent as missionaries by the Spirit to proclaim the gospel, then, then what is it? Tim Keller says the gospel is the the good news of what God has done to reach us, it's not advice on how we reach God. And this good news entails 
God entering the world in Jesus Christ to achieve a salvation that we can't achieve for ourselves, to convert us and transform us as individuals, make us a part of a new humanity called the family of God, and then to eventually renew the entire world and all of creation. That's the gospel. So we speak of the gospel, you've heard this before in our MCs, as four acts, creation, fall, redemption, restoration. In our culture, look, it's really important that we talk about that fourth act in our culture, restoration. A lot of people in the southern um, Bible Belt culture think that salvation, the gospel, ends with redemption. Uh, We need to communicate well that we're headed towards something that we're already experiencing, not in a perfect way, in an imperfect way, as as a cloudy, a glass that's cloudy. But we're headed to a day when all things will be restored and made new. Thank God for that, right? And so the gospel are those four acts. We want to be a church that's well-versed in seeing the gospel, not just as four theological truths, but as a story, because the gospel is the story, right? In fact, all other stories flow from the story. You can pick up any book. You can go to any movie and see all four aspects of the story in that book or movie. Creation, fall, redemption, restoration. So, so how are things made? How do things exist from the very beginning? How, where is the element of fallenness? Who's the Savior? Whether it's Godzilla or uh, Donatello, Michel- Michelangelo, or any of the other turtles that we're pretty excited about. Um, and then how are things restored? How are things made new? And, and thankfully, some movies give you a, a, a great picture of that. You know, I hate most movies because at the end you just get like a glimpse of how things are restored and made new. So, so movies like Lord of the Rings that just go on and on to get you a sense of what life is like is really cool. Um, so all stories flow from these stories. And as you've been in your missional communities, as you've been sharing your stories, we've been trying to help you and, and help each other see how our stories um, have those four elements in them. So if you've shared your story in your MC. Bring out the aspects of creation, fall, redemption, restoration. If you, if you haven't shared your story, if you've already done it and didn't do it well, do it again and, and let's see the aspects of creation, fall, redemption, restoration. But the gospel is a story that starts with God, the one true God, or as they say in the East, the most high God. And this God who um, has always existed, never created, who is all-knowing, all-powerful, all-present, so there's your, your omnis, Right? This God who's always existed in triune nature, Father, Son, and Spirit with perfect unity and harmony. So this God who was lacking in nothing, this God decided on his own true free will to create. To create angels, spirit beings who would do his will and worship him. Until one day a portion of them with pride in their heart rebelled against this great, good, gracious God. And he cast them out of heaven chose to create a universe that's filled with stars and galaxies and black holes and comets and planets and asteroid belts. And in one of those galaxies, galaxies, the Milky Way galaxy, he chose to create one particular planet that just so happened to have thousands of different um, um, very specific features that would accommodate, sustain, and keep life carbon-based life forms, you might say. Life forms that could breathe oxygen from the air or breathe oxygen from the water. Life forms that could sense their environment and adapt and, and adjust to what their environment is telling them to do. Life forms that could reproduce uh, of their own kind. Life forms 
that could take sunlight and um, uh, carbon dioxide in the process of photosynthesis create sugar energy to sustain themselves. Life forms that could take um, oxygen and in the process of combustion create energy to sustain itself. And so plants and trees and mammals and birds and fish and reptiles and dinosaurs and amphibians all began to flourish on this planet we call Earth. And then God chose to create the pinnacle of all of these carbon-based life forms. Humanity. The only part of this creation that would bear His image. That would have this ability to know Creator God in a, in, a, in a way that no other part of creation knows Him. To show and reveal who this Creator God is to creation in a way that no other part of creation can do. And so our parents, Adam and Eve, were, were created in this amazing environment, created naked and unashamed, created to enjoy and rule over all of creation with our God, our King, without the stain and the scar of sin, tending the garden, knowing, loving, and worshiping God with, with total openness, like none of the, the junk that we bring to in places like this. You know, it is so hot. I don't know if I can worship God. It's too hot. Or the garbage and baggage that we've, we've brought from our week. And, you know, can I truly sing praises to the God who created me with this burden, with this sin weighing me down? Will God always love me? Will God never leave me or forsake me? Or just sometimes, where is God? It feels like He's left me. They, they were able to enjoy God and worship God without any of that. Totally, totally open, no insecurities, no self-condemnation, no anxiety, no fear, no shame. And just one rule. Don't eat from this one tree. And they lived and they existed and it was good. It was very good. Until one day, everything changed. The, who had been the chief angel, Lucifer, came in the form of a serpent as Satan and approached Eve in the garden. And he asked the question that he always asks us even today. Did God really say? Do you really believe God meant that when he said it? Do you really believe that's true? She was with her husband, or rather her husband was with her, taking the position that far too many men take today, the do-nothing approach. Instead of grabbing a shovel or a shotgun and dealing with a serpent as serpents should be dealt with, he stood by and watched the enemy play with the heart and mind of his bride. And she gave in, and he gave in, and they knew it immediately, right? Immediately they were still naked, but now they were ashamed, and they wanted to hide. And most of all, God knew it as he came looking for them. Not, 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 not knowing what they had done, but wanting them to realize what they had done. And so the serpent was cursed and man and woman were cursed and creation was cursed and everything would change, right? No more garden, no more access to the tree of life, no more freedom from death, fear, worry. New things would start happening like sickness, physical death, natural disasters, pain, sorrow, hurt, abandonment, murder, hate, abuse, eventually cancer, AIDS, sex trafficking, slavery, kidnapping, pornography, divorce, loneliness, and selfishness in 10 trillion forms. But our Creator God is good. 
And whenever you see Him bringing judgment in the Scriptures, He also brings grace. And so in verse 15 of chapter 3, as He's cursing the serpent, He is saying, one day, one will come. From the woman who was taken from the side of man, the first Adam, this seed of the woman would come who is the second Adam. And where the first Adam failed in every way, he won't fail. Where the first Adam stood by and did nothing, he's not going to stand by and do nothing. He's going to deal with the serpent. He's going to put his heel on his head and crush him forever. And get rid of all the brokenness and pain and hurt and curse that sin has brought to creation. So even as God began forming special relationships with humanity, we still could be set free from our greatest problem, sin, our bent towards sin. Even as He gave laws, as He gave land, as He gave blessing, even as He uh, disciplined His people, even as He judged His people, even as He delivered His people, did miracles for His people, it couldn't solve our greatest problem, our bent towards sin. The one had not come. So God had to give the ultimate gift and pay the ultimate price to solve our ultimate problem. And one day He came, Jesus, God's Son, human in every sense of the word. He was born of a woman. He was born as a baby. He grew up as any kid would grow up. He worked a job. He ate. He slept. He was tired. He was tempted to sin. He was sinned against. But also, in every way, God, except veiling His glory so that all the creation wouldn't worship Him as they will one day, but fully God in that He was born of a woman, but born of a virgin woman. Tempted to sin, yes, but never giving into temptation. Sinned against, yes, but never retaliating. And Jesus came. In His three short year ministry, He inaugurated and He showed us what life would be like with our Creator God as King over creation once again. As He loved the unlovable and the outcasts of society, as He brought together this incredibly diverse group of people and made them a family, as He uh, eradicated sickness and disease in certain regions through miracles, as He showed His power over creation, as He even did the unthinkable and reversed death and gave life, solved the problem that nobody could solve. But his greatest work was not giving of himself willingly to suffer and die and pay the penalty for sins. Not his sins, but the sins of his people. His greatest work was climbing on the cross. Willingly, lovingly shedding his own perfect blood for a bunch of rebels who don't worship him perfectly. And then he died and was buried on the third day, rising from the dead, signifying that everything he did and said was true. was truth. He was who he said he was. He did what he said he came to do. And now we live in this already but not yet era of time where the kingdom has broken in, the kingdom is spreading, the kingdom is transforming, and we're seeing snippets of the kingdom, but it's not yet fully here. We are living, waiting for our king to come back. And if you think Cleveland was happy when their king came home, wait until our king returns. Not to take us home, but to bring us a new home. To live with him for all of eternity. 
And, and I, have to, I can't assume, I mean, even though we're a church plant, you're a core group, I can't assume that everybody gets this, that everybody's in. So, so this morning, this is for you individually. Are you living under the rule and reign of the king of the universe? Are you living for his kingdom or your kingdom? Are you trusting and believing? Not did you trust and believe at one point in time in your life. Are you today trusting and believing in this Jesus Christ? Is he your savior and your shepherd and your friend who sticks closer than a brother? So when by God's grace, our story is intersected by the story, we become part of the family. We become adopted, so we go from being a rebel to being a son or daughter. We become a servant of the king through the sacrifice of the suffering servant. And, and as we're focusing on, we become a missionary. One who is sent out to proclaim the message of the gospel and live out the reality of the gospel. As Paul said in 1 Thessalonians 1, or rather 2, chapter, uh, chapter 2, verse 8, So being affectionately desirous of you, we were ready to share with you not only the gospel of God, but also our own selves because you had become dear to us. We, we share the gospel and we share life so that people see the reality of the gospel in our lives. And this is something we, we, we have to unlearn. Even though I think a lot of us, probably all of us here mentally would say this, right? I know I'm a missionary mentally, I get that. But are you experiencing that? Like, like, could somebody examine your life and say, oh yeah, man, they're living as a missionary. It, it shows up. Are we seeing ourselves and living in such a way that we're being sent by the Spirit to make known the message and life of Christ to the context and culture God has sovereignly placed us in? Is, it, is that showing up in our lives, in our missional communities? We don't believe in this clergy-laity dichotomy where the clergy do all the ministering and the laity are ministered to and they receive everything and the clergy... Gives everything. We don't, we don't believe that's biblical. Uh, we're all ministers. Some of us do have roles of equipping, uh, teaching, leadership, training, and so forth. But it's all designed to train, lead, equip others to use their gifts to minister and serve and, and be the people of God, be the church. So um, you can turn in your Bibles to 2 Corinthians chapter 5. That was all just introduction. Um, 2 Corinthians chapter 5. I'm going to show you a few places where we see this in the scriptures. As you're turning there, Ephesians 4, 11 through 12, Paul says he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, the teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ. And so we're, we're all ministers. We're all saints who are doing the work of ministry. Some of us may have a role of equipping and teaching, but we're all doing the work of ministry. 1 Peter 2, 9 and 10 but you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession. He's not talking to the leadership. He's talking to the body. This is who you are. Why? Look at the next phrase. That you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. We are this people. God has sovereignly worked out who we are so that we may proclaim this incredible thing we've received, this incredible transformation we're experiencing. Uh, he goes on the next verse. 
Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. So he's talking to all the people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. You see it again in 2 Corinthians 5, beginning in verse 17. We all know and love this verse. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. All of this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself. Look at this. Gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them, and entrusting to us the message of, of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ, God making His appeal through us, through us, through us. We implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. For our sake, He made Him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in Him we might become the righteousness of God. So we are all God's chosen people who proclaim the excellencies of Him who's called us out of darkness into light. We're all saints who are, are training or being equipped for the work of the ministry. We're all ministers of reconciliation with a message of reconciliation as ambassadors of Christ with, with this calling to implore people, be reconciled to God. How is that possible? Because in Him, He made Him who knew no sin to be sin so that in Him we might become the righteousness of God through Christ. More specifically, we're sent out as missionaries by the Holy Spirit. So just as God sent Jesus to reconcile and restore all things, so now we're sent with a message and demonstration of the power and life of Jesus to reconcile all things to God. As Jesus was filled with the power of the Holy Spirit to carry out the will of God, to show people who God truly was, guess what? We are filled with the same Holy Spirit to live in such a way that we show people through our lips and through our lifestyle who the one true God truly is, right? Jesus told the disciples in John 20, 21 through 22, he said to them again, peace be with you as the Father has sent me, I am sending you. He's not just referring to the 12 disciples who were in the room, or 11 rather. He's referring to all of us. Acts 1.8, wait for the power of the Holy Spirit. You will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. You will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria to the end of the earth. We go in the power of the Spirit and we are witnesses throughout the nations. The Great Commission, Matthew 28.18-20, Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and Son and Holy Spirit. Uh, teaching them to observe all that I've commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. How could Jesus say that when he's about to zip out of here in the ascension? I'm with you always to the end of the age, but I'm leaving right now? The presence of the Holy Spirit, the presence of Christ in us, who empowers us to go and make disciples in all nations. So, so here's the rub. If all of this is true, if we've been sent by Jesus in the power of the Spirit to bear witness to the message and life of Christ, if we're not living as missionaries, then either we don't have the Holy Spirit, which means you're not born again, or you are grieving the Holy Spirit and disobedience. That's the only options, right? 
So a few closing applications for you to talk about your missional communities. By the way, you realize we're called missional communities. We're not called coffee communities, food and party communities, uh, comfort group, social group communities. Um, we're called missional communities because, yes, we are in community for a mission. So in your missional communities, a couple of questions that um, to think out, talk out between now and the next time you gather. Number one, do, do you genuinely view yourself as a missionary? Like, is that how you see yourself? I'm a missionary. Like, would you introduce yourself to somebody like that? You know, what do you do? I'm a missionary. Really? I didn't know that. I thought you, I don't know. Worked at Starbucks. Worked at Starbucks. Works with autistic kids. No, no I'm actually a missionary first and foremost. I, I introduced myself to that, a guy who's a missionary in Thailand uh, several months ago. I said, yeah, I'm a missionary to Monroe. And he, like... Really? There's missionaries in Monroe? There's a lot of missionaries in Monroe. There should be. So, so like Todd Thomas, you don't know Todd, he's heading back next week. Uh, his family are serving as missionaries in Germany to Turkish Muslims. So be praying for him, especially between the hours of 4 and 7 p.m. because he says most people, Muslims, come to faith in Christ after midnight in coffee shops, socializing, right? Um. If God said, go be a missionary in Germany, we get that. We gotta sell stuff, we gotta learn language, we gotta learn custom, we gotta get support, we gotta, we gotta figure out how we're gonna be a missionary in Germany. We we get that. Okay, bring the same mentality to Monroe. Bring the same mentality to Monroe. Like what do you need to do? How do you need to arrange your life so that you can be a missionary to the culture and context that God's placed you? So, so do you view yourself as a missionary? Secondly, have you identified your mission context, your mission field? Have you identified your mission context, your mission field? So this is home, this is work, this is neighborhood, this is where you shop, eat, play, hunt, fish, do hobbies, live life regularly. All right, and this is not, this is not pe- the places you're trying to reach. This, these are people. Have you identified the mission context in which God's placed you, your mission field? Do you, do you see it? Do you view yourself as a missionary to those places and those people? Um, and then thirdly, what tangible steps are you taking to share Jesus and show Jesus in your mission context to people? So what are you doing? I mean, you, you spend some time talking with Todd, and man, there's some very stringent accountability. Like, what are you doing? I imagine if they're not doing it, they're going home, right? Because why are you over here? Why are we supporting you? So, so what are you doing? I mean, bare minimum, bare minimum. You, you look at the mission context, the mission field God's placed you in, you're identifying the people that you're around who are far from God or you don't know. You don't know where they're at. So, so what are their names? Neighborhood, home, work, um, places you shop, eat regularly, people you're building relationships with. Bare minimum, you're identifying. This is, this is who, who we're going after. This is who... God's sending me after. We can do that as missional communities. This is where God's sending our missional community to target our efforts, right? And then secondly, bare minimum, you're praying. You're praying for those people, pleading with the Holy Spirit to go after them, to pursue them, to draw them, to open their eyes and help them to see the Holy Spirit to give you those divine opportunities to get to the gospel, that's, that's just a bare minimum. Everybody who's in here who's born again 
can do that because you're born again and you have the Holy Spirit. You can't do that in your flesh, but with the Holy Spirit in you, empowering you, everybody can do that. I'm a missionary. Here's my mission field. Here's the people God's put me in contact with. Let me start praying for them. And then take it to the next step. So what do you want to do? What strategies do you want to take? What training do you need? So if you have a 1 Peter 3.15 moment where somebody's asking you for the reason, for the hope that you have, and you present the gospel with gentleness and meekness and fear, are you ready? Can you walk somebody through the gospel? Can you tell creation, fall, redemption, restoration story? Can you give the, the truth and reality of Jesus Christ? I mean, if you can't, number one, you need training and equipping. And so today we're leaving this up to you. Like we thought about giving you all these resources and all these websites and stuff and, and giving you a sheet of paper that probably stay in your car for a month. But we're leaving it up to you. If you need more training, equipping, go see your MC leader and say, I, I need help learning how to share the gospel. I need help understanding the gospel um, I need help in, in how to walk through the story in a way that, you know, actually sound like I know what I'm talking about. And, and then we're ready. We'll go from there. Do you see yourself as a missionary? Have you identified your mission context? And then what tangible steps are you taking to be a missionary to those people? Everyone can do this. If you're born again, you have the Holy Spirit. That's, that's all you need. You don't have to go to seminary for this. You don't have to have some special spiritual gift that nobody else has. If you're born again, you have the Holy Spirit. This is why God created you. This is what He's calling you to do. Unless, of course, you're not born again. Unless, of course, the Holy Spirit doesn't live in you. So as we respond this morning in worship, we're going we're to partake of communion so we can see, come to the table and see and savor who Christ is, what Christ has done. We're going to sing to our King. Uh, we're going to do some more sweating as we do all of that, right? Um, but, but maybe God's Spirit has spoken to your heart this morning and opened your eyes and helped you to see that I don't know where I'm at with God because I have no desire to do this. And so before you leave, during this communion time, during the singing time, you, you, can come, you can come grab me or Kendrick. Don't grab Scott, he'll be singing. Um, but because we're all ministers... You, you can grab other people in here and just go somewhere in the back, go somewhere back here, and just, just help me walk through where I'm at with God. Do I, am I really born again? Have I truly placed my faith and trust, and am I believing in Jesus for my salvation, for life, for eternity? Don't leave here. Don't leave here without speaking to someone if, if that's how the Spirit has spoken to you today. Let me pray for you, and then Kendrick's going to come and lead us through communion. Father, um, we're so thankful for your grace and for your mercy that you...